Well, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 16. We're continuing our study of what we're calling the hard passages. And when we talk about hard passages, we really talk about two different things. We said they're hard because it's hard to figure out exactly what they're saying. And, and maybe this passage is going to fit that way just a little bit. What is he saying there when he talks to Peter? Hard to figure them out. But then there's other hard passages because they seem to be different from what we know. Like It looked like a passage might say you ought to do good works to be saved or something like that. And so we know that that doesn't fit, but we got to figure out how it is. So sometimes they're just hard to figure out what they're really saying, and sometimes they just look like they're contrary to something else. We already know that salvation is a gift by faith alone in Christ alone, and you're saved and saved forever. But Jesus is talking with us disciples, and he gives a charge to them. And as we look at that this morning, he says, he says to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church, and I'll give to you the keys of the kingdom. Now, for us, most of us in this room, we actually went over this saying of Peter. Uh, it's probably been three or four months ago, back in the summer or when we were still doing the sayings of Peter. So this is not new to us for some of the youth and some of the, some people who are new, newer. Maybe this is. What does it mean? Upon this rock I will build my church. And what does it mean, the keys to the kingdom? And how does all that fit? And we'll see how it fits. Well, the church is often called the body of Christ. The church is made up of those who have believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life. It is composed of both Jews and Gentiles in one body. When we realize that the church really is not really is not mentioned at all in the Old Testament, and Jesus Christ talks about going to build the church. In fact, there's two things. He says this. He says, I will build my church. And so when Jesus was talking, the church was future from the time Jesus was talking. Now, we know what happened. Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again, sent it back into heaven. Ten days after that, because he walked on the earth for 40 days, ten days after that, the Holy Spirit came and put together the church. So the church... It was future from Jesus when he said, I will build my church. And so that's really true. And we're going to talk about what, what does he mean by that? And what about the rock and all that? Kind of, and then he talks about the keys of the kingdom to Peter. And what do, what, do you, what do you mean the keys of the kingdom to Peter? So we're really going to look at two things. The rock. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Future is the rock, Peter, or is it something else? And then what about the keys of the kingdom? They're given to Peter. But what does that mean? What does that mean? But before we get into it, let me just tell you what, the, what Catholicism says. Catholicism teaches that the rock is Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, means Peter is the first pope of the church. That's what it, they take it to mean that. We're going to talk about it as we go through it. And then the keys of the kingdom were given to Peter. That means he has all the authority. And that means the next pope after Peter and the next pope and the next pope. And, the next, and that's why even today the pope is powerful. And the pope, uh, the pope speaks from God when he sits on what they call ex cathedra, which means from the throne. He can say something and it's the same as if the Bible says it. And so they go back to Peter to say that Peter was the first pope. That's what they say. He was not a pope, and we'll talk about it as we get to the end of it. But let's talk about this. So here, here is Jesus and his disciples. It's getting near the time that he's going to go to the cross to die for us and to pay for our sins. They're in Caesarea Philippi. By the way, I didn't put a map or anything, but Caesarea Philippi is way north. 
It's way north, north of the Sea of Galilee, way north. And he's up there with them, and all this talk is going on. And so look at Matthew 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Now, the Son of the Man is the title for the Messiah. In fact, the Son of Man, if you go back to the book of Daniel, the Son of Man will uh, build, a, have a kingdom that will never end. So it's the Messiah and the Savior. And so he calls himself Son of Man, which means I'm the Messiah and the Savior. He says, who do people say that I am? That, that's the question. So he's talking to the... What, That'd be like him, maybe me looking at y'all and say, who do, who do people say Jesus is if you talk to people in the community? You know, he's now telling, asking the disciples, who do all these people out there, who do they say that I am? Well, because they're going to talk about it. And they said, well, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So they start off and they say, some say you're John the Baptist. They actually thought that Jesus somehow was connected with John the Baptist because John the Baptist and Jesus were at the same time, but I don't understand that. Maybe some people actually thought maybe Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead. That's what some thought. And then they said, well, you're Elijah because everybody knows that Elijah's going to come before the second coming, and so you must be Elijah. And some say you must be Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. So he says, they all think that you're like a prophet or even John the Baptist. And, um, you know, what, what do people say about Jesus today? Uh, some say he's a great teacher. He's one of the greatest teachers, or he's a prophet, or he's a great example. He's an example for all of us. We should look at his life. But not many, not a lot of people say that he's the Messiah and the Savior and that you believe in him for eternal life. That, something weird happened to me. I was at the ball game last night, and that whole thing was weird. But anyway, I, I was... <laughs> sitting there, and there was a guy right there. There's a guy and another guy, and this is a young guy. Look, maybe like a college guy, maybe not college. And they were showing pictures of people on the screen right before the kickoff. And they showed a guy with a beard and long hair, and this guy started screaming, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. I started to say, I don't think you know Jesus, okay? I don't think you do. But anyway, I just thought that was weird. You know, what do people say? In fact, how many times have you heard people say, well, Jesus had long hair? We don't know if Jesus had long hair or not. They say, well, he was a Nazarite. No, he was a Nazarene, not a Nazarite. He was from Nazareth. He did not take the Nazarite vow, which was a different thing. So anyway, people are so confused. So Jesus said, who do the people say that I am? And they said, well, some people think you're John the Baptist come back from the dead, and some people think you're uh, Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But then he asked the key question, and he says, who do you say that I am? Verse 15, who do you say that I am? What do you, what, what do you, you know, what do you think? And so Peter always is the leader. I mean, that's just the thing about Peter. He's got a great personality. He's going to be the leader. He's going to take charge. He's going to be a great guy. But th that means sometimes he says the right things, and sometimes he says the wrong things. I mean, that's, you know, any of us who talk a lot, when you talk a lot, you're going to say the right things, and you're going to say the wrong things. Sometimes you're in positions where you have to talk a lot. But anyway, so they said, but Peter, Peter says, well, i tell you who you are. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, that's who you are. You're the, Peter's the leader, and he says, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the Son of the living God. Now, let's think about what Peter calls him. He calls him the Christ, 
That's Christos in Greek. It's the same as Mashiach in Hebrew, which is we get Messiah from it. Messiah is a Hebrew name. Jesus is a Greek name, so to speak. And it means the anointed one of God, the Messiah, the Savior. He's saying, you're the Christ. You're the anointed one of God. You're the Messiah. You're the Savior. You're the Son, and I put this up here, you're the Son of the living God. He's saying, you are the one we've always waited for. You're the one that the Bible talked about. And if he said it, he could have said, from Adam and Eve to Noah to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, you're the one we have waited for. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, that was a great answer. You know, um, if you read about eight more verses, he gives a really bad answer for something, okay? So I just want you to know that sometimes he does great, and sometimes he doesn't do so great. So in this one, we're going to see what happens. And so Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar-Jonah means son of Jonah. So Simon's daddy was Jonah. His name was Jonah. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father's heaven. He's basically saying that the truth, the truth about Jesus Christ, is, it comes from God himself. All we like sheep have gone astray, each one our own way. And the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit does not make you believe, but he convicts you so that you can grasp and understand the things of God. And what Jesus is saying, Peter, you just didn't come up with this on your own. I am the Messiah Christ because the Father in heaven revealed to you who I am. And so he's just saying that. And so then something amazing happens, and that is verse 18. He says, I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock... I will build my church, that's future, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now this is where it gets down to it, because Catholicism says, he says to Peter, you're the rock, and he's going to build his church on you, Peter, the rock, and nothing will ever happen to it, and then you'll get the keys of the kingdom. We'll talk about that more in just a second. Well, I want you to understand something. It says, um, the, he says, you are, he says, you're Peter. The name Peter means little rock. It's Petros. It's not Petra, it's Petros. Sometimes in the Greek, there are different words that means different things. This word Petros means a little rock. And then he says, you are little rock, Peter. And upon this rock, and he uses a different word, he uses the word Petra, which means big rock. So when you look at this in the original language, he's not saying, Peter, you're the rock, and upon the rock of you, Peter, we're going to build the church. He says, Peter, you're the little rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church. And so the question is, what is the rock that he builds this church on? What would you think immediately, without going any further, what would you say is the rock? It's probably, I mean, the most simple thing to understand is the rock is Jesus Christ. In fact, if you look at Paul's writings, he talks about in the Old Testament, the rock that was hit and the water came out of, guess who that was? That's Jesus. Jesus is the rock that followed them to give them the water. I don't know if you realize that, but that's what, that's what we see in the scripture. And so, uh, who is the rock? And the best we can understand, first of all, he is not saying, Peter, you're the rock that the church is built on. He says, Peter, you're the little rock, and upon a big rock, I am building the church. And I think there's two ways to look at the, the big rock. The big rock is either the confession of Peter and saying, the church will be built on all the people who understand that Jesus is the Savior. That's possible. That'd be the rock. But the rock also is probably Christ. 
And I've got it both ways. In fact, I think even in this study, I said most likely, it may be most likely the confession that, Peter, you've made the right statement. You said that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that's the rock that we build everything on that people believe in Jesus Christ as that he's the Messiah and the Savior. So it could be two things. It could either be the confession of Peter or it could be the rock himself. And, you know, I go back and forth. Sometimes I say it's probably, maybe it's Jesus, and sometimes I say it's probably the confession. It could be either one. But here's, here's the next part. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it, prevail. That means nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop the church. Listen, you, people will talk about the church is dying. The church isn't dying. Not the body of Christ. There may be individual and local churches that die or people move away and they don't come anymore or people turn liberal and everybody leaves and stuff and all that kind of stuff. But the body of Christ, nothing can stop it. Jesus Christ is building his body, his church. There are people every day all over the world believing in Christ for eternal life and they're becoming part of the body of Christ. And when he says the gates of Hades, some people want to say the gates of hell. It's the word Hades and hell are not the same place. Hell is the lake of fire. Hades is in the heart of the earth. It's a, it's a Greek word for the same as the Hebrew word shield. So they all go together. So he's saying, I'd say, you're, you're, you're Peter, the little rock, and upon the big rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Okay, any questions so far on this? You just, you, you've got it that here is Peter standing up and saying, I believe you're the Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus said, you're a blessed man. You're blessed. And listen to this, Peter. You're, you're Peter, little rock, and upon this rock, big rock. I will build my church and nothing can stop it. So either way, it's the confession of Peter, which would be our confession that says we believe Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and by believing in him we have eternal life. Or it could be that the rock itself is Jesus, and either way fits the Bible. With that in mind, though, there comes the second hard part. And that's where he says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. I read that on purpose slowly so you can see that in just a second. And so what about the keys of the kingdom? What does this mean? And what is the keys of the kingdom? And if you're a Catholic background, you'd say Peter's the Pope, and he has the keys, really, of the kingdom. Now, notice it didn't say the keys of the church. That's where the issue comes in. They'll say Peter decides who gets into the church. This doesn't say keys of the church. This is keys of the kingdom. So you could stop and go, oh, I didn't really ever see that. That's right. That's right. He's not, it's not Peter letting people into the church and saving them. So what is going on here? What is the keys of the kingdom? And what we understand is the keys of the kingdom. Let me see if I can make this work. It's kind of stuck. I don't know why it won't go to the next slide. Can you make somebody back there make it go to the next slide? I'll try it. There. There it is. The keys of the kingdom. What are the keys? It's access. A key opens the way. If you have a key to something, you say, can you get in the house? I, I got a key. And you can get in the house. The keys of the kingdom is how, how in the world can you enter the kingdom? And that's by faith. And so we're going to see that he has that authority to do the key. He says, I'll give you authority as my representative. And let me tell you something else. Guess what? You get to tell people how they can enter the kingdom. You get to tell people how they can have eternal life. You can. And, and, and listen to what he says here. Let me just put this part up. He says, uh, he didn't say, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. He says, whatever you bind on earth has already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, not will be loosed in heaven, but has already been loosed in heaven. What he's saying is, when you go out and you tell a person, when you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life, 
You get to say that because that's already determined in heaven that that's the right message. And if you were to tell a person, if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you won't, you'll be in the lake of fire. That's, that's the same thing. It's already been told. So to, to be able to be the one to give this information out, to bind and loose, it doesn't say will, it says has been. It's past tense. And so he's saying this is what has happened. So he says, Peter, you're the little rock. Upon the big rock, I'll build my church. Nothing can stop it. And I'm going to give to you the keys to the kingdom. And whatever you do, it's already been done. And whatever you do, it's already been done. Whatever you bind, whatever you lose, it's already been done. This is it. So you can walk out this door and you can say to anyone, if you believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, God promises you eternal life. Why? Because that's already been decided. It's not something new. It's already been decided. That's how he looks at it. Now, with that in mind, what does this mean, keys? What kind of keys did he get? Well, first of all, there were three key people groups, right? The Jews, the Gentiles, and the Samaritans. Samaritans are half Jew and half Gentile. So when you look at the world, there's Jews, Gentiles, and Samaritans. That's where they were. Guess who got to go to all three groups? Guess what? On the day of Pentecost, Peter had the keys of the kingdom to announce to the Jewish people. Not too long after that, Peter went up to Samaria to the Jewish, to the half Jew, half Gentiles, and got to proclaim the message. And then Peter was sent to the first Gentile. That's Cornelius. It was Cornelius who got to, to, who God said, "Send to Peter. He will tell you how you can have eternal life." So Peter did have the keys, meaning he had the access to the Jew, to the Samaritans, which is Jew, half Jew and half Gentile, and to the Gentiles. That was what he got to do. Now. Just to give you one other thing before we have any questions and then go to our grow rooms. Some people do want to say that Peter was greater than everyone else and that he was the first pope and that he was really the leader of the church. Is that true? The answer is no, it's not true. In fact, Peter wasn't the pastor of the main church. The main church was the church in Jerusalem. And James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. James is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. This is not James and John, because James got killed early, and John lived a long time. This is James, who wrote the book of James, who is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. This is the one who was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Now, if Peter's going to be the first pope, shouldn't he have been main, main? And then second... Peter does not call himself anything but a fellow elder. When you read the book, the letters that Paul wrote, he says, Peter, a fellow elder. He doesn't say, I'm the top dog. I'm the main leader. And you know, Paul, as the great apostle, wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. He never says stuff like that. He just says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, sent by Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, oh, like I'm the leader of the church. Peter didn't ever say he was the leader of the church. So just to understand that, sometimes there are teachings that are contrary to the Bible, and they just don't fit, and, and, but people have believed them forever. And, and so you'll hear, and I brought this, let me just throw this out. Uh, we had membership training, right? And we say that you, you're saved how? By believing in Jesus Christ for eternal life. But other people say you repent of your sins. You give your life to Jesus. You ask Jesus to come into your heart. You make him Lord of your life. You get baptized. I asked our group last Sunday afternoon, how many of you we're told you need to repent of sins. Every hand went up. How many of you were told you need to ask Jesus to come into your life? Every hand went up. I said, how many of you were told you need to make a public profession of Christ to be saved? Every hand went up. That's wrong information. And there's a lot of wrong information all over this place. And even when you look at a verse like this, there are a whole group says Peter is the Pope. 
and the first one, and it travels all the way down. And he's got the keys to the kingdom, which they mean the church. Uh, so anyway, uh, there's just a lot of stuff there. Okay, uh, let me give you applications, and we'll open up for questions. Okay, let's understand that the church is built upon the rock. I put it this way, the rock is Jesus Christ. And that could be the confession, it could be whatever it is. It all goes back to Jesus anyway, because the confession is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, whoever believes in him has eternal life. Notice that Peter, Peter's the little rock. He is. And then I put here that confession of Christ is the big rock. It could be any way. It could be the rock himself is Christ or the confession of Christ is, is the rock, either, either one. And, and so you can just look at it and decide how you want to look at the passage and how you look at it. So there's a lot there. So just remember that. And when somebody comes to you and tells you that Peter may be the Pope here or he got, he's the big rock or he's the rock, just tell them, well, there's different words there. There's different words there. The second thing is let's understand the meaning of the keys of the kingdom. Think what that means. The keys of the kingdom mean access, and it's access to the kingdom. It's not access to the church, even though anyone who believes is going to be in the kingdom, but at this stage, we're the church, the body of Christ. Peter was the representative of the early church to all three major groups, to the Jews, to the Samaritans, half-Jews and half-Gentiles, and to the Greeks, to the Gentiles. That's exactly what we see. And that, that he was. He was special and set apart that way. And, and when, on the day when they... Uh, let, let, me, let me throw something out. That you understand that the gospel is always confused. It always has been. So here's the early church. They're saying salvation by faith alone and Christ alone and you're saved forever. And they, and, uh, they, they go up to Antioch, Peter and Paul and Barnabas, and they go through the first missionary journey. They tell everybody about salvation by faith. They come back. And then people come up to Galatia and to there and say, unless you keep the law of Moses, you're not saved. And they go, what are you talking about? And they basically said, Gentiles can't be saved unless they become Jews. And they went, you are so stupid. So they were going to have a big meeting. And they had a big meeting in, in, in Acts chapter 15. The church comes together. James is the leader, not Peter. And they ask him to talk. And they all talk, and Peter gets up and says, you understand that by my hand, the message went to Jews, Samaritans, and Gentiles. And then Paul says, and yet by my hand, we got to take it all over this. And the message is always the same, faith in Christ for eternal life. And there were groups out there that said, you couldn't be saved unless you keep the Mosaic law. There were certain people say you could be saved by faith, but you have to live the Mosaic law for the Christian life. And then there were people like us who say, you're saved by faith alone and Christ alone. You're not under the Mosaic law. You live by faith. And they ended up saying, from this point on, we're going to make it very clear. And it's James who stood up and said, we're making it very clear that it's that Gentiles, we are saved in the same way the Gentiles are. That was pretty unique. So just understand, y'all, there's always confusion. And I think that's one reason it's so important that we do the hard passages. Because we've seen whole doctrines built off Hard passages, you know. Okay, we got time for some questions. Anybody got questions or input or anything? And we, we can break and go to grow group if we don't have any. We have studied this before, so it's not brand new for most of us. Yeah, okay, Fernando. Fernando always asks hard questions. Okay, no. As soon as you said that, you know, what's, uh, what you bind on earth is already bound in heaven, I thought of uh, Ephesians 1, 4. Uh-huh. Okay, so you wanted to talk about election there. Uh, 
Yeah, in Ephesians 1, 4. Uh, that passage says he chose us in Christ before. Yeah, for creation. The, the choosing us in Christ is this, that when you believe in Jesus Christ, what has God planned? He will put you where? In Christ. His plan before the foundation of the world is that when believers believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, he places them in Christ. See, some people want to say that God chose you to be saved. It doesn't say that at all. In fact, as you look, it, this is a thing that's a really good book. A guy by the name of Sean Lazar wrote a book. And where's Brian? Brian, what's the name of the book? Uh, uh, Chosen to Serve or something like that? Yeah, and, and it's a book that takes every place in the Scripture that shows somebody being chosen. And every place, choosing is for service and not for salvation. Even Paul, this is this. Paul said, God chose me in my mother's womb to have eternal life? No. He says, God chose me in my mother's womb that I would make the message known to the Gentiles. So every time you see choosing, it's not for salvation. There's a whole group of people that think God picked out certain people to save them, and he chose them, and he didn't choose the rest of them, and the rest of them are going to hell because they can't believe, and they're going to hell because they can't because they can't believe, and he made them where they can't believe. That doesn't even make sense, does it? And so when you look at election in the Bible, or you see a choosing in the Bible, look and see what is the choice. What are they doing? I think that that chosen there is to be placed in Christ. Because therefore, if any man be in Christ, there's 55 places in the New Testament, he says, being in Christ. And so that, I think that's the plan. Does that help a little bit? I'm saying that when you see chosen in the Bible, it's for a service and not for salvation. And think in Romans, if you look at the book of Romans, he says, I chose Pharaoh to demonstrate my power. But that's not salvation, that's service. And so as you look at the scripture, there's a whole bunch of places where it talks about choosing, but it's not, it's not for salvation, it's for service. It's confusing sometimes. That's why they're called hard passages. Anything else? So we can get out of here without another one? No, I'm just kidding. That was, that's a great question. Great question. What else? Anything else? Is this the first time that the church is actually mentioned? I, don't, I know the Bible's not in. I think, that, I think that's the first time Jesus mentions the church in Matthew 16 when he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that it's not mentioned anywhere else up to that point. And so I think that probably, now we know the word church is ecclesia. Ecclesia. Uh, Ek is out of, kaleo is to call. When the word comes together and comes as ecclesia, it means the called out ones. So the church just means assembly. And then it could be used in a number of ways in the Bible. There were times that they'd have a big assembly, and that word was ecclesia, which is the word for church. But when Paul used it, and they used it a little bit later on, they meant a group of people called out from the world into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why it's called the church. And it's used almost every time. There's only two places in the New Testament where the word ecclesia doesn't mean the body of Christ. One is, uh, one is where they're having a riot, and those people who all gather together, they, they were the ecclesia. They're not the church, the body of Christ. They were a riot. And then the other place is he actually mentions in Acts uh, that the church, the church in the wilderness, and he's talking about the nation of Israel being gathered together in the wilderness. He's not calling them the church. He's calling them a gathering. So that's the only place. Every, every other place, ecclesia means the body of Christ like us. Oh, is that Maxine? Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Maxine, I'm old. Keep saying it, keep saying it really loud. No. Well, Maxine, thank you so much. Max, I, I'd like to clarify what Maxine said. She said what I taught today is the truth. But the, the truth is, that's the Bible. And when you look at Scripture, 
and you actually look at it and you don't take tradition because traditions, you got to be careful. There are some traditions that are really good. And there are some traditions you say, I'll just do those. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're biblical. But there are some traditions that are based off this that aren't, that aren't actual. And Maxine's right. There, there are a lot of people who get taught something and they believed it all their lives. And when you really get down to it, they say, well, I've never understood this. So it kind of breaks your heart.